Few events in history come close to matching the sheer scale of the Eastern Front of the Second World War. Beginning on Sunday the 22nd of July, 1941, the German operation dubbed Barbarossa involved over three million German and pro-Axis troops from countries such as Hungary, Romania, and Finland. On paper, even this immense military force paled in comparison to the Soviet forces, but the Soviets were caught completely off guard and were soon pushed back across Eastern Europe and into the heart of the Soviet Union itself before they stopped just outside the gates of Moscow. There were numerous setbacks that befell the Soviet defense in the opening months, ranging from equipment shortages to the point where two soldiers were often sharing a rifle to devastating failures of military leadership. In the 1930s, the paranoid Soviet leader Joseph Stalin instigated his political purges where anyone he viewed as a threat was eliminated. This sapped the military of experienced leaders in favor of more politically sound ones who hesitated to act on their own without Stalin's instruction. This was bad enough for the army, but it was devastating for the Air Force and Navy who weren't seeing as being a high priority. Operation Barbarossa forced the Soviet leadership to rethink their previous politically motivated policies, and as more skilled and effective leaders began to filter back up into Soviet planning, coupled with a reorganization of Soviet industry for war, the situation began to change. Over the coming four years, the Germans and their allies would face off against an even larger military force as the Soviet military mobilized and organized itself, led by Marshal Zhukov in what the Soviet people called the Great Patriotic War. This fight to expel the Nazis included the Battle of Kursk, the largest tank battle in the history of mechanized warfare. This was a brutal fight. Hitler promised that no German soldier would be held accountable for their behavior in the fight against the Soviet Union, telling them that the war with the Soviets would not be waged along civilized lines. This gave German troops permission to murder, rape, and pillage as they advanced. And as the tide turned and the Soviets recaptured lost territory and advanced towards Berlin, they too committed these exact same atrocious crimes against the lands they took. The cold, devastating retribution of the Red Army as it swept across Europe led to their reputation as among the most feared combatants in the entire of the Second World War. In this episode of Wars of the World's Deadliest Combatants, we'll look at four Soviet fighters that instilled abject terror on all they encountered. Many a military historian have found themselves debating what was the best tank of the Second World War, and while there may never be an answer to satisfy all, few would deny that the Soviet Union built the most influential tank to emerge from the conflict. The T-34 was truly one of the great tanks of World War II, finding an excellent balance of mobility, firepower, and armor, whereas most other tanks had to compromise one of these factors for the sake of the other two. 
In the right hands, it was among the most deadly machines of war of the era, and perhaps there were no hands better than that of the highest scoring tank ace not just in the Soviet Union, but the entire combined allied forces pitted against the Axis. This man's name was Dmitry Lavrinenko. Dmitry was born on September 10th, 1914. His father fought in the First World War, and as he grew older, he decided to follow in his father's footsteps and join the Soviet Union's Red Army. Joining up as a cadet in 1934, he would serve four years in the cavalry before retraining to learn tank warfare. Learning on the T-26 and the BT-7 light tanks, his comrades at the armoured school recognised his skill and gave him the nickname Sniper's Eye. On September 17, 1939, as per an agreement with Nazi Germany, the Soviets invaded Eastern Poland, and this was Lavrinenko's first taste of combat. He also saw service in Romania, shortly after which his units began receiving early model T-34s. When the Germans invaded, Lavrinenko was a lieutenant serving with the 15th Division, 16th Mechanized Brigade. The reliability of the early T-34s were so poor that many of the tank crews found themselves going into battle as infantrymen after discarding their broken down T-34s, but with uncharacteristic foresight, Soviet military leaders began selecting their most experienced personnel and withdrawing them so they could equip units with newer, more reliable versions of the T-34. This included Lavrinenko. Lavrinenko finally went into action against German troops in October. On October 6th, his tank was credited with four enemy vehicles destroyed, and over the following two and a half months, he would wreak havoc on German tanks, being officially credited with 52 enemy kills. However, some who fought with him claim the actual number was probably higher, as they were more interested in destroying the next enemy tank than counting the wrecks they left behind. On December 18th, 1941, Lavrinenko was a part of a Soviet force that retook the village of Goryani, during which he destroyed his 52nd tank. Lavrinenko left his T-34 in order to report his success to the commander of the 17th Armoured Brigade when the Germans began shelling his location. Lavrinenko was killed as a shell landed next to him. Having participated in 28 engagements over two and a half months and acquiring 52 confirmed kills, more than any other Allied tank commander before or after him, he was posthumously awarded the Order of Lenin. After the war, he would also be bestowed the title Hero of the Soviet Union, the highest award for valor in the Soviet military. So just what made Lavrinenko so special? Well, knowing the strengths and weaknesses of the T-34 was certainly one factor, but more than anything, it was his tactics. Lavrinenko knew the German tank crews were no amateurs, and that blunt force tactics were almost suicidal, even for the T-34. Therefore, he instead took the time to conduct reconnaissance of enemy formations and probe for weaknesses he could exploit. He also conducted hit-and-run attacks and ambushes, both of which proved highly effective, and earned him the title of the deadliest tank ace of the entire Allied forces of the Second World War.
The Soviet Air Force at the beginning of Operation Barbarossa was one of the largest in the world, but it was filled with obsolete types and poorly commanded. As a result, losses in the first 72 hours were staggering. 3,922 aircraft were destroyed, mostly on the ground, for the loss of just 78 German aircraft. It was the combination of superior tactics and weapons in the face of huge numbers of poorly prepared Soviet pilots that allowed German aces to rack up incredible tallies at the expense of the enemy. However, the Germans wouldn't have it all their own way. On the contrary, like all nations involved in the air war, the Soviet Union had its fair share of natural flyers who would make the Germans pay for their invasion, and among them was the highest scoring allied pilot of the war. Ivan Kozhadub was born in Ukraine on June 8th, 1920. When he was 15, a flying club opened near his village and watching the light aircraft flying overhead, he developed a passion for aviation. After becoming a member of the Aero Club himself, he learned basic flight skills before joining the Soviet military in 1940, graduating as Operation Barbarossa got underway. Recognized for his skill, he was retrained as an instructor rather than being sent to the front lines, but his thirst to join his countrymen in the defense of the motherland never wavered, and after two years of requesting a transfer, he was finally posted to the 240th Fighter Regiment. His first combat was in the Kharkov region as the war began to turn against the Germans, but it was nearly also his last. While making an attack on a German plane, he was himself jumped by a flight of Messerschmitt BF-110 heavy fighters, but he remained unscathed. His first successful victory was on July 6th, 1943, when he downed a lumbering Stuka dive bomber, which was no match for his powerful Soviet fighter. The next day, he claimed another, and then two days later, he truly showed his worth when he downed two Messerschmitt BF-109 fighters in a day. A month later, another BF-109 fell to his guns, and he was thus officially an ace, but more planes would follow. On October 22nd, 1943 alone, he shot down three Stukas and a BF-109. On June 2nd, 1944, he took down his 41st plane, which would forever give him a higher score than any Western ace, the closest being American Richard Bong with 40 kills. As the war continued, so too did his success. In August of 1944, he would become the only Soviet pilot to shoot down a Messerschmitt Me-262 jet fighter. Recounting the battle in an interview after the war, he said, quote, On February 19th, 1945, I was on a lone wolf operation together with Dmitry Titorenko to the north of Frankfurt. I noticed a plane at an altitude of 350 meters. I made a quick about face and started pursuing it at full throttle, coming down so as to approach it from under the belly. My wingman opened fire and the ME-262 began turning left over to my side, losing speed in the process. That was the end of it. I would never have overtaken it had it flown in a straight line. The main thing was to attack enemy planes during turns, ascents or descents, and not to lose precious seconds. Pushing into Germany, with the situation for the German Luftwaffe looking increasingly hopeless, Kozadov himself noticed that the quality of the German pilots had plummeted as new pilots were rushed through training. In many ways, the tactical situation for the opposing sides was now the reverse of that of 1941. On April 17th, 1945, he downed two more planes, and these would be his final victories of the war. 
In total, he is credited with having shot down 64 enemy planes and was awarded the title Hero of the Soviet Union three times. After the war, he remained in the Soviet Air Force and commanded a secret Soviet unit fighting American planes over North Korea, although he himself was not permitted to engage in combat. Under his leadership, the secret unit claimed to have downed 239 planes for the loss of just 27 of their own. He continued to have a successful career in the Air Force into the 1980s, before his death on August 8th, 1991. Unlike the majority of nations engaged in the Second World War, the Soviet Union made extensive use of women in a combat role. Some 800,000 women served in the Soviet armed forces in a wide array of roles, with some 200,000 decorated for their courage. 89 women would even receive the prestigious title of Hero of the Soviet Union. One of the most successful female soldiers of the fighting, and certainly the most well-known in the West, was Lyudmila Pavlichenko, known to both friend and foe alike as Lady Death. Born in Ukraine on July 12th, 1916, she would later confess that she wasn't like other girls interested in playing with dolls, but was instead competitive and often challenged boys who scoffed at her when she would try and join in with their games. One day, she became fed up with a boy living nearby boasting of his prowess with a rifle and she decided to challenge him, a challenge which she subsequently won. Realizing she had a gift for shooting, she joined a local rifle club and earned herself numerous awards for her accuracy. While at university studying to become a teacher, she enrolled in a Soviet army sniper training course, so when Germany invaded, she expected to be sent to the front lines. However, the registrar who interviewed her for military service had other ideas and wanted her to become a nurse. After continually refusing to consider her, she presented him with her shooting awards and he could no longer deny her the right to fight. Thus, Pavlichenko became one of 2,000 female snipers in the Soviet army. But being a woman didn't mean you had more chance of survival. In fact, only one in four of these women would survive the war. Yet, she still faced opposition from her male officers and comrades, and due to the weapon shortages, she wasn't even given a rifle until August 8th, 1941, when she got one from a fallen soldier. To demonstrate her prowess, she agreed to shoot two Romanian soldiers spotted nearby, which she did with extraordinary efficiency, and this baptism of fire endeared her to her comrades, who swiftly accepted her as one of their own. However, very quickly she proved that her skills were far in excess of the regular soldier. During the Siege of Odessa, which lasted one month and eight days, she accounted for a staggering 187 kills, leading to her promotion to senior sergeant. After being evacuated from Odessa, she was assigned to training other snipers, her reputation inspiring the new recruits, who went on to achieve great success in subsequent operations, success credited to her instruction. Her new training role didn't keep her out of the fight, however, and she routinely returned to the front to fight the invaders of her country. By May of 1942, her kill count was up to 257 Axis soldiers, and not only were her countrymen taking note, but the Germans were as well. They dispatched their own snipers to hunt her down, leading to some truly legendary sniper battles between her and her would-be killers. But no German trick seemed to work. 
The Germans then offered rewards for her to surrender or for any Soviet soldier to help them kill her. None of it worked and Lady Death, as she became known, continued to terrorize invading troops. By June 1942, her kill count was up to 309 before she was wounded by a mortar shell. Recognizing her propaganda value, the Soviets withdrew her from the front line and instead she found herself undertaking publicity tours in the US, Canada, and Great Britain to drum up support for the Soviet cause. During her time in the United States especially, she loathed the news media who hounded her with unimportant questions like did she wear makeup in battle. She did, however, befriend the United States First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, who helped her deal with the American press. The two would remain firm friends, writing to each other for the rest of their lives, despite the deterioration in relations of their respective countries after the end of the war. After the war, she was appointed a prestigious researcher position within the Soviet Navy. However, she would go through troubled times. Like so many veterans, she battled with post-traumatic stress disorder and would turn to alcohol to numb the pain. On October 10th, 1974, at aged 58, she suffered a stroke and passed away. Throughout the war, Germany was little concerned with the Soviet Union's surface fleet, which was largely comprised of old warships heralding from the days of the Tsar and were at times barely seaworthy. However, the Germans were more fearful of Soviet submarines, and rightly so, as the Soviet Baltic fleet especially was in a prime location to disrupt the flow of war materials from neutral Sweden. Evading German mines, destroyers, and aircraft, Soviet submarines fought a bitter campaign against German shipping, but like in the army, the purges of the 1930s left the Soviet Navy with few effective officers in command, and Soviet sailors paid the price. But as the war progressed and experience was gained, Soviet skills improved, and for the German, Finnish, and Swedish sailors running the gauntlet across the Baltic, they began to fear the submarines in the same way that Allied sailors across the Atlantic feared the U-boats. In terms of judging a submarine captain's success, submariners have always gone on gross tonnage they have sunk rather than the number of ships, and in that regard, one Soviet captain holds the title of being the most successful as well as perhaps the deadliest Soviet of the war. Alexander Marinesco was born in Odessa on January 15th, 1913, the son of a Romanian sailor and a Ukrainian woman. When he was old enough, Marinesco joined the Soviet Merchant Navy and would later achieve a command position in the Navy's Baltic fleet. At the close of the war, Marinesco's problems with alcohol brought him to the attention of his commanding officers, and it became so bad, he was expecting to soon face a court-martial when he commanded the S-13 out of the Porkala naval base on January 11th. Over the coming days, Marinesco and his men came under repeated attacks by German torpedo boats as they patrolled near Kolberg, northwest Poland. At that time, the Germans were in full retreat across the country they had previously shared the conquest of with the Soviets. Thousands of German civilians who had gone to make their fortunes in German-colonized Poland or to join their military husbands and fathers base there were now scrambling to get back to Germany before the Soviets arrived to take revenge on anyone left. 
thousands of them rushed to the docks at Danzig, scrambling to get on ships leaving for the fatherland, such as the 25,000 ton Wilhelm Gustloff, a requisitioned ocean liner. Officially, the vessel had over 6,000 people on board when it left on January 30th, but the real number was around 9,000, since in the chaos, the boarding officials let anyone who was German on board. Little did they realize they were sailing directly into the path of Marinesco. Spotting the ship in the late evening, Marinesco tracked the vessel for up to two hours as he set up his shots. At approximately 9 p.m., he fired a spread of four torpedoes, which struck the defenseless ship. Those who weren't killed in the initial blasts were either crushed in the panic stampede for lifeboats or drowned in the bitterly cold water waiting for rescue. Exact numbers may never be determined, but most research claims that somewhere in the region of 9,600 men, women, and children died that night. To put this into perspective, that's over six times the number who died on the Titanic and remains the highest loss of life in a single incident in maritime history. But Marinesco was not finished. On February 9th, he spotted another German liner, the 14,000-ton Steuben, evacuating civilians and wounded soldiers from the port of Pilau. Firing two torpedoes, the vessel was hit just before midnight, killing another 4,500 people. Returning to his home port, Marinesco expected a hero's return, but his conduct prior to the sinkings and afterwards saw him overlooked for the title of Hero of the Soviet Union. After being demoted, he was booted out of the Soviet Navy in October of 1945. But with his two sinkings reaching over 40,000 tons combined, he was nonetheless the most successful Soviet submarine captain of the war, and with over 14,000 dead, he was also the deadliest Soviet combatant. He died in 1963 after a battle with cancer, and was eventually posthumously awarded the Hero of the Soviet Union by Gorbachev in 1990. And there you have the four most feared Soviet combatants. Please leave a comment with your own thoughts down below, and remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. Thank you for watching, and I'll see you next time.